All right, we are recording. All right, guys, welcome back to the Fitness and Philosophy Podcast. My name is Robbie Gustin. I'm uh, here with OPEX Fitness founder, James Fitzgerald. James, how are you doing today? I'm great, thank you. Good. How's your summer been going over the past couple of weeks? Well, I guess officially, uh, as of this date, summer doesn't start till tomorrow, Robbie. That, that, so, that is true. So my spring has been great. Yeah. And um, I'm looking forward to uh, 2.43 p.m. tomorrow when summer officially kicks off. I'll be uh, jumping around in the sunshine out in the grass um, and then probably jumping into the water. Awesome. Hey, in, uh, I'm just curious, in, in Canada, was so obviously in, in, in the U.S., there's kind of a Memorial Day to Labor Day unofficial definition in Canada. Is there a similar type thing or is it just June 22nd when it gets going? Yeah. Um, it was called, yeah, it was called, uh, May long. May long. Yeah. And, um, I just remember the only thing I connect to is having some fun parties as a young kid, um, during that period of time, because where I was born in Northern or raised in Northern Labrador, um, it was still, there's only two seasons there. It's like harsh winter or really hot summer with long days and flies. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that was, May was still a weird time. It could be like, oh my gosh, you know, t-shirt weather or it could be snowstorm. So um, that's what uh, the May long, we used to party um, because we knew it was the, that, that edge of getting to um, summertime. That's cool. Big fires, keep all the flies away. Yeah, yeah. Massive fires. <laughs> yeah, that, that is, it's nice to have the nice weather, but yeah, keeping the bugs away definitely can be a trick. Yeah, massive fires and alcohol, not a good mix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or a great mix, to it. I'm just kidding. Depending <laughs> on how you look at it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it yeah. certainly opened your eyes to how beautiful fire was, but throwing, yeah. uh, you know, paint cans inside massive fires, it's not that intelligent. Yeah, probably not the best idea. Mm -hmm. Well, are you uh, feeling good about our topic today? Truth? Yes, sir. Well, not really, but yes, I am. <laughs> I'll be honest. I'll be truthful yeah, with you. Be truthful. I'm not. Um, a lot of. Uh, I still have a lot of questions, so I'm hoping. I'm hoping you're going to be able to uh, navigate uh, this conversation not only for me but for our audience. Um, uh, for the the understanding of the importance of that word, not only as it applies in fitness, I think uh, just to be honest, when I first thought about it, it's probably a, it's probably a topic that um, if people are listening in, they probably want to think about it outside of the fitness world and ask yeah. those questions a lot. You know, I think especially for today and for most of us who are listening in as adults, understand the current landscape, it'd be a really good time for us to to spend a few minutes here and there asking these questions. So yeah, truth is always important, but especially now. Yeah. So, um, okay. So I think what I'm going to try to do is just like we did last time and previous times, give a general intro to things, but then trying to get, try not to get too deep into philosophical weeds with the different theories of truth, but have kind of like we did with knowledge, you know, operate with like justified true belief, just, just something that we can yes. get a handle on because as you might imagine in philosophy, there are 
debates and theories and, you know, we can kind of get uh, bogged down, but I, th I think I can give people kind of a, a good sense of uh, the basic lay of the land. Yeah, no, um, I think it's worth repeating that we're going to consistently do that, you know, and I yeah. think that's just important for listeners and for you and I to keep saying over and over um, and not get bored with that idea. Um, yeah. It's just important for us to lay it out in that pathway in order for a, a base support. And then if there's, you know, that's the good thing about if we determine a base support and we feel as we meander through how it affects fitness, you know, it doesn't work, then gives us an opportunity to change it. Yeah. If you know, people are ever like, Hey, I'd like to have more of the philosophy. Yeah, we can mm -hmm. definitely do that. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. So I think in talking about truth, falsehood, and fitness, I thought it would be worthwhile to just start off asking the question, why does truth matter? And then we'll get into like, what is truth? Or what are some theories of truth? So um, there are a few reasons why truth might matter. So they can be grouped into, I guess, two categories. There's extrinsic reasons. You, you would pursue truth for something else, for some other reason or purpose. That could be political, existential, scientific. Uh, and then there's intrinsic reasons, you know, is truth of, um, is it the type of thing like happiness where it's just almost a category error to say, well, what do you pursue happiness for? Right? Like that, that is the full stop there. You know, you're not pursuing happiness for anything else. You pursue happiness for itself. So on the intrinsic side, um, you know, on a scientific or investigating the world aspect, if your model of weather patterns or building a car or baking a cake is on point, it will lead to better explanations and predictions. You'll be able to bake a better cake. You'll be able to model the weather better. You'll be able to build a car better, you know, construct, um, you know, fusion reactors and, and, and things like that. So that's an extrinsic reason for truth. But then there are, you know, deeper other reasons besides sort of scientific or practical reasons like, you know, we all know the quote, the truth will set you free, which is almost an existential quote about kind of the meaning of life and how we pursue things. Or in a time of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act, kind of a political notion. So those are some extrinsic reasons for um, pursuing truth or why truth matters. Yeah, I think of uh, uh, the existential portion really hit a chord with me for uh, possibly uh, an understanding you know, um, I think truth may get at, uh, possibly, um, like a, a little insight into an understanding as to why we do what we do. You know, um, there's so many things in living that's a mystery. Um, and, um, I think that that's probably why it could seem valuable of that search for truth or looking for truth because, it may not give answers, but it certainly pushes us closer towards this understanding, you know, right. and truth is, as you said, would be the answer to that. Maybe it is actually, it's not possible in that way to, to get there. But I think that's what, how it feels for me, Robbie, um, of keep trying to go after what that truth is. I, your commentary, um, of, you know, believe me if I'm wrong, a correct of a wrong in an intrinsic case of the truth will set you free in an example of that. Is that correct? It's in, that's an intrinsic way of understanding it. That could be. Yeah, that could be. Um, it just, it depends on what you, um, it, yeah, I guess it depends on what we mean by 
um, free. I guess initially I was using that more in the extrinsic sense, just in the sense that you would pursue truth for freedom rather than truth in and of itself. But um, the the two could be related. I mean, one, even saying that you would pursue truth intrinsically um, could lead to specific consequences that come as a result of that. It's just with the, I guess, extrinsic um, view of things, your truth is a means to some other end. If that yeah. Makes okay. Sense. Okay. Yeah, it does. Thank you. Um, yeah. But I just wanted to make mention of that um, before we move on. Um, I believe to accessibility that I think that's what um, gives me a reaction is the, is the positivity and the wonderment inside, inside of it um, and the process of it. Um, and it seems very worthy in my mind anyways, to go after it because it, it gives us a little bit of a um, closer understanding to why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. And I didn't have that listed here, but I think it's an excellent point. Like one issue you always run into with the discussion of truth as well. That's really at the end of inquiry or something like that. It's like, you're only going to ever really get to it. Like when we stop investigating things or something like that. So sometimes people ask, um, well, if we're not at the end of inquiry, why, why is it worth pursuing? But I think you brought up a good point. Um, especially in the existential kind of meaning of life case, like maybe that pursuit just in and of itself, even if we're just grasping at little tidbits that are eventually part of the bigger tapestry, like there, there's something in that journey, even if we don't have the full capital T truth. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that's a little bit on why truth matters. Um, How do we access truth? Now here, I'm just going to pose some questions, you know, there, there could be whole, you know, discussions and courses on each of these, but just, just to give people a intuitive sense of like, when you hear these things, what do you, which ones do you think lead to truth? And I guess it depends on the person, but you know, science, economics, political science, um, is truth only revealed by experiments? Can truth be revealed by things that are not experiments? Um, personal experience, how does personal experience differ from experiments? Um, religion, morality, uh, mystics, shamans, psychics, astrology, um, you know, and what's, what's the, uh, area in which we're talking, right? Um, I think most people would agree and philosophers have generally agreed that morality is not determined by conducting experiments. Um, but figuring out how to build a fusion reactor is so just, just doing some kind of thoughts around like what sort of things allow us access to what different types of truth and what just, what things don't have any access to truth and just kind of playing or dancing around. Um, so yeah, didn't know if you had any thoughts there. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I just don't, uh, I personally probably have had a not, not enough, um, uh, time, uh, spending on the thought process around it, I think. But as soon as you said experimentation, um, I do, you know, I do lean more towards, um, the experimentation or the practice of living in the human experience that does get us some to some truths. Um, so my, my gut reaction, Robbie, is that, yeah, it's not experimentation alone. That's going to get there. Um, cause, cause even it is arguable on the morality question, maybe in philosophy, philosophy, it is arguable for that, but it's argued maybe in different other ways as well, that you can get to some consequences of morality through the human experience and what we have done as humans for a long period of time, which is in fact experimentation in some way, shape or form or, or the experience. 
So um, that's what I think about for accessibility. Um, and within there, you, you also did um, make note of a number of different, what I thought about a timeline of my life, you know, um, and something we should also take into consideration. I think it's the person who's, who's asking the question has to be taken into consideration for what their base support is and how they come up with truth. So I was thinking like as a 13 year old, you know, going to church on Sunday with my family in Labrador, you know, after those sessions and, her, and, and hymns and, and the conversation that went on, you could just imagine as a 13 year old young boy uh, growing up, um, you know, I have a different version of that, you know? And so at that point in time, you can say, well, what, what did that 13 year old boy have as accessibility to what is truth, you know? And, and at just, just play, putting yourself into that um, mental exercise allows you to recognize that there's so many things around environment and uh, upbringing and experience and all these things and books, yeah. you know, that lead to accessibility. Just wanted to make the point that um, to tie back in that I really still don't think through, I've had enough experiences to have enough access to enough or diff enough different possibilities of the truth. That's my own personal opinion, right? Um, and it doesn't mean that just because I think that way, you know, it's possible for a lot of other people, but I am proposing that as a, as a possibility. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, yeah, the point about access, you know, I, I, when I mentioned access, I was talking about particular areas of endeavor, but you're absolutely right. What about location? What about age? What about... Mm you know, time and history. I mean, all these things present different um, entry points for access that, you know, can absolutely determine um, the extent to which one has the ability to glean the truth in the first place. Yeah. And I'm not sure if I, uh, if I hijacked that idea to move us in another direction. Um, and that, that's not what the point was, but where do you think that uh, time and history uh, has a part to play in that, knowing that we did believe that, you know, even 80 years ago, that there were some things that were true that are not, and we still had access to the same, you know, base support. So um, I'm not sure what you think about that. How, how much do you think time plays a role in that, like a time in existence and time of, uh, of uh, for us as humans, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of deep discussion about that in philosophy of science, but just to, I guess, base level ideas that relate to that. The, the pragmatist definition of, of truth, which we'll, which we'll talk about a little bit, is that, you know, truth is just what remains at the end of inquiry. So, you know, to your question of how does time play a role, uh, as time goes on, we get closer and closer. Um, another way of viewing it in philosophy of science, you know, people will say, well, you know, Einstein came along and uh, came up with a different theory of uh, gravity that, you know, overturned Newton's, um, which is true, but there's a lot that was um, subsumed or connected to, like, it, it wasn't like, oh, mm -hmm. that, uh, that other stuff was just, you know, mm -hmm. a wash and the new theory. It transcended that, it. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and it was definitely related to it. Now, there are some, uh, like uh, Thomas Kuhn uh, and others in this, this might be a, actually a topic for conversation at some point on a different episode, but who argue that with scientific breaks, there really is this radical, like the concepts are just different. 
the, the concepts like there really is this uh, mass does not mean the same thing in Newtonian physics that it means in Einsteinian physics, for example. Um, so there are different theories out there, but I think a general view is something like as time goes on, you get better and better at approximating the truth. And I think some notion of scientific progress, at least typically, although not always involves some idea that while the previous theories may not have been full on 100% capital T truth, there's some element of either subsumption or connection to previous theories. It's not like that was just, you know, all a bunch of BS and we just tossed it out. Like you can still launch a, launch a rocket with Newtonian physics. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Um, so you can still do a tremendous number of things. It's just that at the margins, um, like the perihelion of mercury and other things like that, you know, it starts to break down. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I can see us, I can see that being helpful as we move into, um, some truths inside of fitness, uh, because we certainly, I think using other, other areas of industry and, uh, economy and technology, um, it goes right side by side with fitness that those other things always did exist in a different way they weren't completely different concepts we just transcended them to be used currently to today but it is closer to um well which i do want to get to it's closer to the truths but <laughs> the issue i think which has to come in there is um the options available to determine what the truths are that right. diminishes your <laughs> how close you are to them you know what i'm saying right yeah uh, I mean, you know, going back to the notion of time and what you were just saying about like your access to it, you know, um, when we talk about like Galileo and being able to time a falling object, do you know what I mean? Like that, that's a famous one. Like we can do it great today because we have, you know, these digital clocks, but if, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, hopefully with like devices and devices we have access to for, you know, body composition or performance, but like, you know, how do you time something falling from, you know, a tower if you just have like a sundial, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Crazy. It just made me smile thinking about um, the, the purity inside of uh, the scientific process back then, you know, just staying up nights after nights thinking about those kind of things. Fascinating. Yeah. And just like, you know, <laughs> for, for the pure, uh, for the pure sake of it, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't mm -hmm. leading to, you know, money, wealth or esteem or something like that, or exactly. just, like, just wanting to find out the truth. Exactly. So much beauty inside that. Yeah. So that's a little bit about why does truth matter? And then how do we access truth? And then I just wanted to give some brief ideas about how philosophers think of truth. So I think the two main ones I'm going to focus on, because we just mentioned the prag pragmatist one already, uh, the correspondence theory and the coherence theory. And I'll try to make these relatively understandable. So the correspondence theory is the, the correspondence theory of truth is probably the most famous one. And it basically says something is true, in particular a proposition or a sentence, is true just insofar as it corresponds to the world. So let's take a couple of simple examples. Um, I say dogs have fur. That sentence is true just in case there is a thing, dogs, and they have the attribute of having fur. Like, and you know, if people are listening and they want some way to think about this, like this isn't perfect, but think about having a sentence written down on paper and being able to point in the world to something corresponding to that 
word. Mm-hmm. Now, if I say uh, unicorns have fur, well, you know, I can point to the fur, a bunch of different animals, but it's going to be pretty hard to Depend find. Depend upon if you ask my daughter or not. So it's an adult we're talking about here. Right. That right. question. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if I say right now, if I index it to, uh, you know, South Bend, Indiana at 11.22 a.m., it's sunny outside. I can point to the world. That's mm-hmm. true. Um, so that's that's the correspondence theory of truth. Any, any thoughts or questions there? Well, as you were saying it, I was thinking, how could we provide some examples for fitness? Humans sweat when they move. Yeah, humans sweat when they move. That would be that would be a good example. Um, humans grunt when they lift heavy weights. Right. Um, I mean, another one would be my legs hurt when I ride uphill. <laughs> right. Sort of some personal truths, experiential truths. Um, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, deeper ones that you could point to. Now, this isn't going to be like a direct pointing to a static object, but the actual experience or activity, but something like um, humans cannot sustain glycolytic activity past, you know, a certain time frame. Mm, yeah. Like now you can't like, point in the instant to that thing, but it's not just instances, it's, you know, experiences taken as a whole and woven together. Um, that is a, seems to be a basic biological fact. We, we can't sustain intense activity. And that's just a contingent fact. The yeah. world could have been such a way that we could, Yeah, but we can't. Yeah. So yeah, great. Great. Um, the coherence theory basically, um, so we were just talking about the correspondence theory. The coherence theory is a bit different. It basically says something is true just in so far as it coheres with a whole web or system of beliefs. So sometimes it will just entirely leave the notion of whether there is this outside world to which things correspond aside because there are all sorts of metaphysical issues with how that works and how there's a relation between a proposition and the world. But the idea is that um, a belief is true just insofar as it coheres with an entire web of uh, theory or a system of beliefs, and it is false just insofar as it does not cohere with those other beliefs. Now, what coherence is, you know, gets tricky. Um, Quine and others have argued that towards the center of the web of belief, there are things that we take as crucial, like... Um, something cannot both be and not be something at the same time. Like that would take a lot of experience to overturn. And at the fringes of experience, there are things like, um, you know, new discoveries that we're just not sure of yet. So, you know, there are problems with the coherence theory and just like there are problems or questions with the correspondence theory. But I think the thing I wanted to highlight for people just to, you know, get a sense of why we're even talking about truth and how this relates to fitness is that, in both theories, whatever you are talking about, there is some check on what you believe. And this is a really important point, is that the reason why knowledge is defined as justified true belief is because belief by itself is not sufficient for the truth. And one of the most important aspects of truth is that it very often conflicts with or corrects what we believe to be true or want to be true. It's a constant thing revising what we believe. So again, whether it's coherence or correspondence, there's some 
thing we're running up against that um, we can't just say, well, I'm going to believe it harder. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that. So that's kind of the idea there. That makes yeah. Sense. Yeah. No, I love the finishing point on that for belief, which I think we're going to, we're definitely going to get into and in some of the challenges uh, coaches as well as people participating in fitness have to deal with today on that. Um, but I also thought about with the coherence theorem, um, how that probably was the case in numerous tribes many moons ago yeah. um, of what they, you know, everyone believed in it and, and they took a probably hard stance on, um, you know, the, the earth's flat and doesn't rotate around these celestial objects. And, um, you know, I'm sure they, they really did. There was like hundreds and hundreds of years and many generations where every human person, homo sapien that was upright during that, in that tribe in that period of time really did believe. And they, right. that was true. You know, those beliefs were true and there was nothing outside of that periphery that, uh, that could give in that. But to your point, um, I guess then that makes me think, Robbie, um, just makes me think that it's, yeah, it's inherently, um, it's tough to wrap our hands around that because it, they, they don't see outside of their picture of what could be. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that, mean, that kind of. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, yes, one has to wonder sometimes, like if there is a coherence theory of truth. And as you're mentioning, there are these, you know, we're, we're and maybe our tribes that kind of have this coherent system of beliefs within the experience, which they're um, enmeshed in, Um, you know, how does that jive with, well, but we, we know other things to be true that don't fit into that. Well, I think, you know, there, there can be issues here that people could bring up, but there's something like saying, well, when properly exposed to, you know, modern scientific methods or learning about physics or biology, what have you, that web of belief that they had is now going to be tested. And, you know, you're going to have to ask how do those beliefs cohere with these other beliefs? And maybe the beliefs they end up having end up being different for ours, but then again, maybe not. Like Quine famously argued that whenever we do an experiment, we're not just testing one single proposition like human beings can't do glycolytic activity for a long period of time. We're testing the entire web of belief each time, Hmm. each time, because whatever we find out from the experiment, it has to, it's going to shift all those different components in the web of belief. So I think in that tribe example, once you have more access to different experiences and things like that, that is going to test your web of belief. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And just as you were saying it, I'm not trying to tie this into current, states of fitness, but, you know, maybe individuals can think about that, um, about, uh, having an open mind and just ensuring you're not inside of a tribe, um, and asking questions, uh, those bigger things that these thousand year old tribes did fall prey to of being inside of a bubble and not asking questions like, well, what do other groups believe? You know, because there's a, there's a thousand um, people participating right now in the slow method, you know, or doing, uh, you know, a pneumatic pressure circuits for curves, you know, and that, that tribe believes in something completely different for fitness in their experience. Right. And they could all be in there for eight years straight, you know, four times a week. And so it's just important for us to recognize, um, uh, for all of us to keep asking those questions, open-minded wise. Um, so we don't just fall prey to that. 
Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And I think now there are debates about this, but one aspect of what you're bringing up, uh, I think is important to highlight is, you know, people will say something defective, truth is one. So, or singular or such and such way. And, you know, going back to the point you were making, if someone really thinks they have access to the truth, well, it should, should, it should be able to survive subsequent experience. You know, if you're like, well, in my own little bubble, I'm, I'm getting the verification I need. Well, let's really test it. Get out of your bubble. Let's do it in, you know, a bunch of different bubbles and, uh, or in, in outside of that bubble and see, because um, truth is going to be, again, what's out there at the remainder of, or at the end of inquiry. It's going to be what has survived these different onslaughts of, of reality yeah. as a group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, super. So I think the only other minor things to say before we get into the fitness part are just um, the pragmatic. Oh yeah, the yeah, pragmatic so definition, the, which is the real definition. <laughs> yeah, so uh, pragmatism. So for those who aren't familiar, uh, pragmatism was a um, sort of school of philosophy in the early. 1900s, particularly in America, late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, William James, Charles Sanders Peirce. Um, the idea here, again, the coherence theory and the pragmatist theory, part of the reason they gain traction is because some, as much as we'd like to say there's this objective world out here that either our beliefs match or they don't, there are lots of kind of metaphysical problems with what that even means. So the pragmatic theory and the coherence theory are almost trying to avoid that question entirely say eh, whether there is or isn't I don't know maybe there is but we can define true beliefs as things that will not conflict with subsequent says true beliefs will remain settled at the end of prolonged inquiry so he is that whenever humans have reached the end of inquiry, that what will remain is truth. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Why, why do you think that sits so well for me? <laughs> uh, I think it is a pretty straightforward answer. I mean, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> I'm not trying to set you up there for trouble. <laughs> no, um, no, I, no, I think, uh, I, I mean, I think at least one part of it sits well with what, you know, you, you've said and expressed. Otherwise it's that, uh, and it's kind of what we were just saying. It's that truth is what survives the onslaught, you know, the constant um, um, experience. And, um, it, you know, it has to essentially be put through the ringer in order mm-hmm. to um, come out as come out as true. Yeah. What do you think is, um, is possibly going to uh, improve that, Robbie, for the future with the... I mean, there's so much available uh, options of those specific bubbles and specific information. And it's really tough for, especially the fitness consumer to, to get a grasp on basic concepts of the truth in fitness. Um, Like we went through this period, I would would argue the sixties and seventies were through some of that scientific method and, and some of this inquiry um, and practice and experience um, and people at least, you know, humanists or naturalists looking at, you know, how homo sapiens operate in the natural world. They're like, when they do this work, this is what you're capable of. And this is what it ends up doing. And then lifestyle changes and scientific method raises. Now we're 2020 
And there's just like, honestly, I'm just giving you a number, but I already know 37 different versions of the truth for what a fitness process would be, you know? So if that is the case, how do you think we, we should navigate that um, in the future? Do you think, you know, would you propose there'll be less? Do you think that um, this point of uh, the end of prolonged inquiry will actually lead to chaos more so than order in terms of the constant process? You know, there's so many factors that go into determining what is truthful um, for that. Any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, a, a, a few that come to mind. I think one hedge against that or one way to, you know, you're asking what in the future could help correct this you know, more experience, more access, you know, we had talked at one point about, um, you know, teaching people in school from, you know, five to 18 or whatever it's going to be, um, just getting them access to all these different aspects of fitness. And I think part of the problem now is that most consumers don't have much access to different forms of fitness. They are locked in one bubble. So that affects what they think of as true. Cause they, again, going back to that bubble notion, um, I think that's an issue. I think one thing I might just wonder about is whether there are 37 different versions of the truth right now with fitness. There are definitely things that people are claiming will pragmatically lead you to six packs or lead you to better performance. But I think one of the most interesting things we've been discussing, and I think it's worth discussing again today is, I don't know how many fitness movements talk about aiming at the truth. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and maybe they kind of say something like that implicitly, but I, I feel like most of them, it's really this super pragmatic, like, you know, beach body ready. Mm-hmm. Well, is that, is that the truth about like the metabolic pathways? You, mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's something they are aiming at something related to, but, but different. So it's an open question whether those are different versions of the truth or whether they're just, entirely different projects that aren't even aiming in the right direction. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, that doesn't answer. I was hoping you're going to answer the question for me, (laughs) but um, it does give me uh, some hope. So I appreciate that. Um, And I, I mean, you certainly have more experience in this field than I do, but I, and, and maybe this is just naivete on my part, but I, I personally do feel like, um, now, again, this isn't to deny that there are a bajillion different marketing opportunities and a bunch of different modalities out there that will always continue to sprout up. But I feel like there have been these kind of steps in, in the right direction. You know, um, we talked about, you know, bodybuilding and then endurance sport. And then, yeah, a lot of not so good things that came along with the high intensity movement, but some access to barbells and, you know, people doing things of that nature. And then, you know, what we're talking about today. So, so I do feel like there is hope and progress and at least in some realms, a, a um, pretty successful attempt to get closer and closer to the truth. Now, again, yeah. maybe that's just my naivete, but um, no, no, I, I, I think, there's no, I, no, I would agree that within there, I do agree that there's been a, an interesting social experiment uh, for the past 25 to 30 years. Um, and time will tell. You know, um, inside that social experiment, I think the, the big challenges we're going to have is realizing, um, you know, you know, uh, what is currently happening. You know, um, I just, I'm just more pessimistic because it seems so obvious to me with this social experiment that, uh, 
it's not yielding all these unbelievable results on a whole. Um, and there's so many things to show that it's not, um, which we see in disease issues, immunology, you know, problems, obesity, et cetera. Um, that's, it's not far from the, the fitness landscape, right? It's not so far removed from it. Um, so I guess I'd have to define um, exactly what I'm talking about in terms of the definition of success before I jump on the skeptic, you know, side yeah. of things for that. Right. Um, yeah. But I get your, I get your point. I'm just, uh, just trying to, trying to use that base support of the end of prolonged inquiry, the pragmatic concept to get to a, you know, an end result that would make sense. But uh, I think the multiple options and the multiple ideas is actually, it's actually like moving truths into, into multiple different scenarios. That I don't think people can, can grasp onto because of those options. Yeah. And I mean, I think another thing going back to your point about, <clears throat> you know, how does time play a role? You know, you think about the development of physics, right? Like between Aristotle's physics and Newtonian physics. I mean, we're talking centuries, you know, mm -hmm. if we talk about biology as it existed, as it exists today, like it, it wasn't that things weren't discovered before Darwin, mm -hmm. but you know, um, or Mendel or genetics, but there was a lot left on the table. So, you know, biology as it exists today in evolutionary biology form is a little over a hundred years old, 150, mm -hmm. something yeah. like that. Fitness, the study of fitness is now fitness has been going on or physical activity has been going on for, you know, ages and ages and ages, but the study yeah. of it is relatively recent. So yeah. 40, 50 years. Have, yeah. Maybe we just have to broaden our time scale. <laughs> <laughs> So what you're telling me is we're not going to get to those answers when I'm alive. That's what you're telling me. That was a really nice way of putting it. Robbie. I hope, I I'm, I hope I'm wrong. And that was kind. It, it seems like progress is accelerating, but it's, it's entirely possible looking at the scale of these other things like physics For and sure. biology. It's at least possible. For sure. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're in the Aristotle's physics phase of fitness right now. Oof. <laughs> that hurts. I, I, I don't think so. And I hope not. I hope it's more like Newton, but. I guess we'll see. Yeah, no, but the, uh, no, I agree. Um, it's, uh, yeah, again, let's just go back to the basis of it, right? So we don't feel, go back to episode one to discuss, episode one, episode two, so that people can understand the base support we're talking about here when we say the word fitness, right? Um, it's not, we, we're not believing, it's just this diversion tactic. And we're not talking about this as this, you know, funny form of things that we do in a gym um, that uh, um, we're talking about it on a, on a, on a base support where you and I, Robbie are aware of the fact that we're, we're, it's constructed for us to do, right. It's constructed for us to do. It's not something we have to do, right. Right. It's, it's construction that we are doing. And on that base of, you know, it's constructed for us doing um, this, where we come into the problems with this whole area I'm just making this aware as people know it's intentions. It's the intentions of why you're doing that. Um, and your, your background belief on why you're doing it. That's where we're coming into my the stuff in my head that I have problems with and trying to figure out how we move it to a point where people's behaviors are deep inside. That's why we talked about, you know, school and, you know, injecting minds so it becomes like oh this is what you do you know right. um so we don't have to do all this adult rehab of mental processes you know 
Um, so I just wanted to play that out again so that we know um, uh, people don't think that we haven't jammed on that concept of what fitness is first. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, yeah, just even you mentioned that. It's kind of cool that we can even refer back to previous episodes now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just so we've gotten for this. Yes. I just listened to episode one again um, for the third time uh, on our on our new Apple uh, podcast. Uh, it was clean and uh, it was actually quite good. It was a good learning again. Uh, a couple of points that I missed on there. So I appreciate that. Anyhow, um, if uh, just to move us along, um, I do believe in your notes that you uh, wanted to, and this is of interest for me to discuss uh, some challenges in theory around realism and anti-realism. Um, and then we can move into some truths in fitness. Is that, yeah. uh, Paul? Yeah. yeah. So whereas the theories of truth, I were just, I was just discussing a more, um, epistemological theories are about what does truth consist in or about like, how, how do we, how do we access it or what, I, I guess they can sort of be metaphysical. Um, but they're more about what does truth itself consist in, um, realism and anti-realism, um, gets a bit more metaphysical. And when I say metaphysical, I don't mean like what used to be the metaphysics section of borders, which is like the secret and other things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's more like the nature of reality, the nature of, of the world. So realism and the correspondence theory of truth kind of go hand in hand. So the idea is with realism, the world exists objectively and independently of the ways we think about it or describe it. Meaning the entire world could think that you know, Aristotelian physics is the accurate description of things, but that doesn't change the world one single solitary bit. Yeah. Um, and again, that really goes back to that notion of belief and truth. Um, there's a constant dance between them, or there should be a constant dance between them where someone's not just holding firm to their belief in the face of, um, truth, but the idea is that the world and truth exist independently of what we think about things. Yes. Anti-realism is truth is the idea that truth is just what can be verified. So it sometimes leaves aside the question of, is there an objective independent world that exists outside of us and more gets to this notion of, can we verify it? So to give you an example, uh, just a silly one that may help people understand this. You know, Santa Claus may exist 100 million years, 100 million light years away from us orbiting some planet, maybe. But just in our lifetime or in the history of the universe, we just, you know, that's outside of our scope of travel. So we'll never be able to verify it. Does Santa Claus exist? Well, on the realist theory, yes. On the anti-realist theory, no. Um, Did you give, so I'm glad you gave two options for our PG-13 uh, individuals there. <laughs> they still won't be able to make sense of your last couple of sentences. Yes, but Santa Claus exists for those for those who are listening and worried, just in case. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of the idea. But again, I, I just wanted to highlight this just to go back to this notion that for I think for our purposes, whenever we're discussing truth, it is very much so a check against what we believe. It is a check against what we want to believe. Humans are very prone to you know, self-deception and believing what we want to believe and truth is a constant check against that. It's not, you know, the only thing or the most important thing. And sometimes belief can transcend truth in, in, in different ways. Um, but I think for what we're discussing when it comes to fitness, that's really helpful. And 
I was listening to a, a video that Jim did the other day and he, he was quoting you. I'm curious, I, I haven't heard you say this yet, but I can imagine you saying something like this. He was saying, if you don't have data, you're just dancing. He was talking about like consultations and things like that. So I, I think that's kind it's kind of the same idea. Like, you know, you can still have a conversation, but like, if you don't have truth, if you don't have something to um, sharpen the sword against, so to speak, um, you're just dancing. So that's, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the idea there. Yeah, I, uh, I was thinking as you mentioned that, so thank you for that, because that really does um, make us think about timely things today for, um, you know, even the 2016 election and what was real in identification of voters and what was real in terms of, so I, I like, uh, I like, you know, uh, discussing that prior to discussing it where, where it is inside truths inside of fitness. Um, but it made me think about also, uh, how it's probably not, uh, a lot of the questions that people are asking on, not only Robbie, did you say you need to have a check against what we believe? Um, but I just don't think a lot of people are taking the time to even ask the questions on, where does that come from or where, 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 what is their basis of why they believe what they believe? You know what I'm saying? So the, um, yeah, cause you could, I think that, you know, especially in fitness, I'll be in the fitness world. There'll be a lot of people who will, you know, as you say, you know, push up against these things as a check against what they believe but they, I think their base support is, is incorrect. Their whole base support of why they believe that, right? Uh, they may have never uh, contemplated things. They may have never debated specific topics. They may have never been outside an environment of a challenging cognitive discussion. They may have never had experiences in their lifetime where someone has said, um, you know, what you believe is not true ever, Robbie. <laughs> and so um, as an example, um, just because it's Juneteenth and uh, uh, proclamation emancipation dates are January 1st, 19 or 1863, excuse me, is a very important day in our history. Um, or I should say the history um, and what happened in Galveston in 65. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's a number of people today that I was just reading on reports over the past couple of days that were never taught this in schools in America. Mm -hmm. That to me, that is sad that, that really, that was, I actually had an emotional reaction to that. That's so much sadness inside of that. Um, Cause I'm just thinking about the collective lack of reality and truth that people just didn't get access to, you know? Um, so I think it's the, uh, Back to your point, um, I think it's not only the checkup against what we believe is people not taking the time, especially in fitness, to say, well, why do we believe what we believe, right? Why do we believe that? Where does that come from? And I think a, a good journey for everyone, not only just in fitness, but everywhere, is to keep, keep asking that, you know, as a rule of thumb. Yeah, I agree. And I think culturally, for better or worse, there, at least I'd say especially in America, there's there's this very deep sense that like, if you say you believe something, well, wherever that comes from, 
that by itself is sufficient for like, well, that that's just is what it is. And we're not going to question and we're not going to say anything about, it. and I'm not negating that in some instances that may be right or that every, every single belief that you have needs to have some sort of, you know, uh, tie back ex to experience or science or something like that. But yeah, when you're talking, when you're talking about fitness or public policy or science or something like that, and someone says, I believe X, well, why do you believe X? And it's okay if there are, um, you know, these other reasons, but you better make that clear if you're proposing public policy or science based on such and such uh, belief. So like, where does that belief come from? I think is, is crucial. Yeah. But I, and I, I, I think it's so important even in a human like Nancy for Nancy and Janice and Billy, you know, not just for policy, but for Nancy and Janice and Billy, like they need to ask those questions. Right. I think it's really important. You know, I think it's, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to weigh it against what it could mean for public policy, but it's really important. Everyone's individual responsibility is to ask those questions, right? Like, where does that come from? Well, why do I believe that? Right? Why, why do I believe that I'm going to get a pull-up in, in a couple of weeks? Where does that come from? Right. Where does that come from? <laughs> um, and it should not only be on the coach's behalf to, to like wrap some reality around that, right? It's not just our responsibility. Um, and we're certainly not going, well, you and I won't, and I hope people listening in won't, we're not going to blanket that with like, Oh, you know, maybe we'll be there. You know, it's a, no, it's, it's like, this is, this is the, we've inquired about this for 40 years. <laughs> you're currently in this thing. You know, this is what your pushup looks like. Da, 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 you know, nine months. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like, that's, you know, that, that didn't, I just didn't, you know, pull that out of my ass that, there's a lot to that. So, um, but that's what I'm saying is Nancy in her position, the lady I'm using as an example here, she needs to, uh, she needs to find an opportunity to ask those questions. Like, why, yeah. why do I, I believe think, that? I think it, you know, when there's this tidal wave of wanting to believe something different, you know, either that's, imposed on by culture. I mean, for all of us, I mean, me include, I mean, all of us have had the experience where we want to believe something and it's, it's overwhelming and it will, you know, push back against truth, but then truth comes back and yeah. <laughs> nope. we want, <laughs> we want to believe that the highest order of uh, position in a government is, uh, is um, honest and trustworthy. Right. Yes. We want to believe that. Yes, we want to believe yeah. that. Despite. Yeah. We... <laughs> so I think we've given a pretty good, um, idea yeah. of basic ideas around truth let's talk a little bit about truth and fitness so i'm gonna just list out a couple questions that we can discuss james and then I, i'm just mm -hmm. curious if there was any one that really struck you more than others so i guess the three main ones i was thinking of one um what truths are there in fitness we started to discuss that last time with what do we know um a second question is should we pursue truth and fitness is, is that is this the type of endeavor that where we should be pursuing truth. And then three was kind of the, I, I, I found this question uh, interesting just from some of the stuff, stuff we've discussed in the past about like devices and access, like, you know, the air bike giving us better insight to truth or the in-body as opposed to calipers or KPIs or things like that. So I don't know if there was one of those that interested you more than others or. 
Uh, all of them. I love the uh, I love the conversation, uh, especially when you say the word aim, because as you know, Robbie, we talk about that in terms of aligning goals for people, you know, and um, I guess we could say in different language that the aim is uh, what we're is, is kind of the is the end result of the journey that we're on. You know, we talk about this ground based support where people are. Uh, we talk about the aim or the goal as to what we're going to and we have this conversation on the resources that we can help them with and the recipe that takes to build that towards the aim. Right. So when I think about that, um, I feel a, a deep resounding yes around, um, going after that aim of truth in fitness, uh, simply because of my beliefs in the power of the journey, the power of consistency and the power of the opportunity for reflection um, as you do that practice towards that aim. So uh, inside of fitness, yeah, the aim of uh, it being a possible possibilities of truth. I really like that idea. Um, I do. And I, I could say, you know, unequivocally that most do get to some concepts of truth when they do, you know, uh, set their sights on that. Um, I would say Robbie that, the language is not their certain, you know, just for, just because it's used so uh, uh, incorrectly. But, you know, when people don't start with me, I'm like, you know, we're searching for the truth. <laughs> that's not the first, that's not right. the first day, right? Um, you could just imagine the, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, like, I'm just here saying. to, I'm just yeah. here to take a butt, you know, thing off my belt buckle. Right. Um, but deep in my, on my seat, in my seat on the other side, I really do believe that. Right. I really do believe that they will get to some what I call and you've probably heard me say these aha moments. Right. Those aha moments is an indication of this self-reflection of now this self-evident belief um, of of how they're adjusting to this process of fitness that in itself um, and the continual practice of that gets them to the point where I'll, I'm quickening it up here. Three years later, we sit down again and I'm about to say something about a particular aspect of fitness and they answer it for me before it gets out of my mouth. Right. That is a, that's a journey of truth, right? So they have come to an understanding of what exactly is true in their own individual journey for fitness. So um, I love that concept. Um, and of course, the uh, attaching technological needs to it. Um, uh, I really appreciate that, Robbie, uh, because it's, it's really, it's so cool that we're alive at this point in time, you know, in 2020 to have a Dutch test um, and uh, a DEXA scan. And, um, you know, uh, I was just jamming with a colleague of mine earlier this morning on free testosterone and sex hormone binding goblin serum scores and uh, sodium potassium ratios, et cetera, et cetera. Like these, it, it, that was actually a lifetime truth of what's happening in his system, you know? And so it's, it's unbelievable that we can piggyback on these current technological things we have available that are really pushing us uh, positively towards what is true in fitness. Um, and I would say what I do, what generally does come up on that, and I, I'm going to, I'm going to breach, I'm going to speak about it again, Robbie, because I, 
I personally need to be, I need to work this out for myself is that I still do see so much of this um, practice and, and more technology that's allowing us to get better insights. But why is it still so confusing? Um, it's still so confusing when I'm taking the lens of uh, someone out there who's just participating and starting in fitness. Um, it's still really confusing. So the, the, the previous thing we talked about on reality, that's what I think, you know, um, that's what I think is the issue um, still at play here. Maybe, and maybe it's only in my mind. So maybe you can help me a little bit with it to repeat exactly what you said, maybe 10 minutes ago, but I still think that uh, we're going to bump up against what these truths are because of, you know, where the, where the data gets in whose hands and, and who's allowed to be the, the person who says what the definition is of the truth after all this, you know, inquiry with this new technology and this practice in fitness. Cause you know, there's a lot of people participating, you know, still really thinking that a minute is going to get them a minute of exercise is going to get them all these unbelievable end goals because there's data to right. show it. Right. You know? So, so when you say confusion with like the devices or like um, confusion in terms of which things would be useful, do you mean something like, and I can, I can definitely see this. Do you mean something like, well, um, you know, if my heart rate monitor goes up at orange theory or if my heart rate monitor goes uh, up in a workout, that means I had a good workout. And if it didn't, it means I have a bad workout, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And much easier reflection, but we don't know what to do with it because there's like 17 answers to what that heart rate measurement means. You know what I'm saying? Although yeah. it's new and it's technology and it's, you know, it's a great insight. That's my, that's my issue. And I probably, I probably need some rehab on it too, because I'm stuck in the, 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 the world of seeing all this information gathering from humans and seeing how I can see it leading, especially in today's day and age towards a much easier way to promote uh, medicines dropped off the, at the door from a drone um, to fix ailments and to fix health. Um, right. And so that's probably what I'm, yeah, I need to heal myself over. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I mean, I, I think this is where there's like that interplay between data and context. And this is where philosophy can be really helpful because I mean, we just have reams and reams and reams of big data coming out. Well, you know, this is your metric and that's that. And this is the other thing, but what is meaningful? What are the, what are the questions we're trying to answer? Like Brandon and I have had this discussion before, like there isn't a fitness tracker out there that I know of that has any way to measure what I'm doing in a back squat. You know what I mean? I mean, there, you know, there are collars and, you know, the tens. Yeah. I mean, there are all these different things, but they're, they're getting at, uh, they're the map. They're, part of the map and not the territory. Like they don't, they don't, you know, maybe they're getting at some little piece of it, um, but they're missing a lot of it. And then there's, you know, aside from just the heart rate one there, you know, there are things now like, um, well, how intensely are you going in your workout? You know, things like, uh, um, you know, different, different trackers out there. Well, but why do I need to be going intensely in my workout, right? Mm -hmm. Like, well, we've or measured what is intense, right? Exactly. You measured intensity and you've done it precisely. Or, but yeah, then there are questions like, well, did you measure intensity precisely? You measured this thing that's maybe related to intensity, but it's not intensity. And then why do I even need to go intense in my workout? Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. 
Um, is it that the individual human continuum is just so broad and the individuality makes it confusing in this? Is that, that possibly it too? I'm just thinking about the back squat one too. And, you know, it should be at this point in time with all of our technology, which is my point uh, at this point in time, with all this technology, someone should, someone should be able to do it. And I'm agreeing with you, by the way, but someone should be able to do it. And we're like, that's, that's what you just did. Do you know what I mean? But, but it's not, um, yeah. it's not. And the available stuff for it is, you know, so what, what was it? It was a, cha it was a challenging contraction, you know, multiple joints moving together in this really challenging contraction. What is truth inside that? You know, there was pressure. There was a big amount of hydrostatic pressure um, as measured from uh, blood pressure. Um, there was a lot of electricity going on, like a lot of contractions head to toe. There was this like um, EMG, EKG, ECG, you know, measurement taken, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, but as we know, the, what was the reasoning to do the two rep? you know, thing. Was it a Zerker back squat, overhead squat, front squat, sandbag to RM? And, you know, who are we talking about? Was it their first time doing it? Um, is it their 6,000th time doing it? Are they 65? Are they 16? You know what I'm saying? Like there's so many human pieces that just mumble that. Um, and is that, is that possibly why we can't get at that? I think that's part of it. I think that's part of it. Um, I think another source of confusion going back to what we've discussed before or the, the reason why this gets confusing is that there are all these different competing notions of what counts as a good workout. So, and the ones that need not necessarily be true, but the one that the ones that just gain dominance, like, you know, endurance for a long time. So then everyone with the heart rate monitor and then now high intensity. So, you know what I mean? Like that becomes the metric of success. Um, and it's not to say that it doesn't provide valuable data, but I think to me, it seems epistemologically that might be what's contributing to the confusion for the average individuals that I, I don't know what I should even be aiming at. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I should be trying for. And I don't know how to measure that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think, I think it's due to attentions again, I think it leads this sea of mediocre crap because there's no real need to challenge yourself physically or to reach some relative level of maximal potential. I just don't, I just, that's why there will be probably lots of confusion. Um, not only in my head, but for, for the, for the periphery of people outside of our bubble who are trying to participate in that meaning, you know, again, I'll just, I'll just uh, do the mental exercise and I really do need to come up with a better analogy to this so people can think about it like Chalmers zombie experiment, even, as crazy as you may think of it, it still does make you think really hard around this whole conscious experience, right? As to how you navigate it. Um, or Ned Block's concepts as well. But, uh, you know, let's, let's just say that, you know, um, we all knew it was well accepted. Uh, it was well accepted that in 2040, uh, like 20 years from this summer, there's, there's a really serious um, you know, experiment that's going to happen or something that's going to happen to us globally in which we all will have to be at our current maximum physical potential. 
like we're going to have to be right. So take all things aside of what we have available for artificial technology, artificial intelligence, et cetera, and how we defend oneself and et cetera. Um, but we, we're, for, for whatever reason, there's something that's going to happen where we're going to have to be really physical, physically resilient, the best that we can be physically resilient. Right. Um, and my point being is that I, you know, I bet your, your bottom dollar, policy acceptance like how we live our lives how we socially operate it would be largely wrapped around trying to become as physically resilient as possible because it's it's meaningful there's meaning to it because we do know and we all know it to be true because whatever <laughs> it happens some book told us or someone said it that we need to be at our best like our best possible every day-to-day -day physical capability do you know what I mean? And that, that would, that's going to make an entire society wake up and every day, you know, not be forced to, but we're doing it because it's just what we do. We're participating because we need to challenge ourselves physically because we need to be at our best collectively. Right now we seemingly think, and I would say a large portion of top population seemingly thinks that cognitively we need to be there. Right. The def definitely a huge, larger movement over the past 20 years of cognitively needing to be there, you know, smarter, downloaded with more information, more mentally acute, you know, you got to be there. Right. And it's, it's well accepted that we could set up 12 years of study and then six more years of study. Why? So, cause this brain is like going to be so big for you, your maximal brain potential, you know, <laughs> why? Cause you got to pay taxes. <laughs> And, and, and you got to have a conversation at Starbucks. Sorry. Um, you know, all that work for that. Um, and so this is, you know, I, I, I keep thinking about that being a big issue inside of my, my um, perspective on getting to these truths and fitness, because the deepest intention will always be seemingly like a dance. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's interesting the like the you know college and grad school analogy like i mean a hundred years ago like that just wasn't part of what you did and now mm -hmm. it's almost you know going back to the analogy of like making fitness like breakfast i mean it's not that everyone goes to college or everyone goes to grad school but as, as a society there is this extremely strong value uh placed on you know developing one's mind and becoming you know more educated and things like that in a way in which there is not a similar, or at least I don't see a similar thing for, for fitness or increasing one's physical capacity. No, it's moving further and further away. Right. For, for, for good reason, right? Like just I mean, it doesn't, it's not hard to look around labor, you know, and, and putting railways across this country is not that important. Right. You know, defending oneself now when you've got Boston dynamics doing robots that will participate in warfare in 10 years, you know, how strong do our soldiers need to be, you know, how tough when they can just, you know, operate drones or have a select few that get on the front lines and do that work. You know what I'm saying? Right. So the, the physical, yeah, physicality and the physical movement, I think, you know, just to add to this in terms of searching for truth, I really, really think that uh, uh, we just need to keep you and I, and everyone needs to keep coming up against this, that we need to recognize that it's, it's well-intentioned for our practice of it. Um, but there's, you know, but working out is hard, Robbie. <laughs> it's challenging activity and consistency is hard. And maybe you're three generations deep where consistency of physical practice is not a 
well-accepted notion. Right. You know what I mean? And, and maybe there's 7 billion other people that are three generations deep on that, you know, and, um, and uh, that's, that's going to be a tough, that's going to be a tough uh, thing to get towards. What are some truths in fitness that you and I know, like um, you asked me to talk about that. So let's repeat those again, you know, um, where I said, uh, the iron never lies. Uh, and sometimes there's these truths in fitness of your physical capabilities that give you an indication of a truth. Like what's your physical capability? Well, try a pull-up. You can't do one. Well, that's a truth. You can do zero pull-ups, right? That's a truth. You don't have the physical capability for it, but, but you attempted it and your brain remembered what it was like to try to attempt it. Right? So it's this adaptation of that stress response that creates an opportunity for you, i.e. you're, you're uh, being an exemplar now in the practice of searching towards the truth, right? You're getting closer and closer to that pull-up, but it's these biological adaptations that um, is a truth in fitness, right? Like you will practice, you will find a limitation in what your capabilities are. That's a truth, right? And then you're going to practice and learn. Now that becomes a truth because you start seeing how the learning and the practice leads to you getting to that one pull up that you were attempting. That right there is the story of the practice inside of fitness. What am I capable of? You know, what are, where do I want to go with it and how do I learn? So the, you know, what you're, I guess what you're capable of in physical assessment is a truth. And then the learning process of motor control and, and et cetera is also a truth. And the third truth, which I talked about last time too, is, is that under a timeline in your life, you know, area, you will always have to do an adjustment up against what your current potential is. Meaning that there'll be a, there'll be enough available sources of energy for you to do really cool shit with what you got to work with. And then over time, those absolutes will get lower. So in a lifetime, maximum physical potential is a truth right? Mm -hmm. That is also a truth. Um, and how we know it's the truth. Well, there's been a hundred million people who tried to deadlift more at 95 and they couldn't, <laughs> you know, so, right. Hey, okay, well, that's a truth. There's something inside of that. Um, so I'll just start there with some of those truths. And, uh, also I'm looking for you to comment too on the, uh, the, the foreground information I had there on us possibly getting to some of those truths and the issues with it, because the intentions are just not, and not uh, well aligned on why we're doing it, you know, besides the mass confusion as to what is truthful, you know? Yeah. I mean, so I have a couple of thoughts. So one going back to the, I was just thinking as we were discussing it about like, okay, well, you know, this value is placed on education. Why isn't it placed on physical fitness um, as much in our society? I think, I think part of the reason, you know, so there, there is, there is one wing of, uh, or one group of people, I think, rightly that view education as a good thing in and of itself but a huge part of the reason that so much is placed on that is you know doctor lawyer businessman gonna make more money right so and there is not a similar thing for physical fitness now there is if you want to become an athlete and for people who do want to become athletes we've seen this in athletics i think we've talked about it on a different episode like specialize now and like you know really you know get into it but physical culture as we're talking about it you know just exploring your own physical potential there's not much money behind it now that does it's not worth pursuing it absolutely is worth pursuing 
and it's probably more worth pursuing because it's not related to money. It's intrinsically valuable. But um, just getting to your question of like, why isn't that value just from a descriptive perspective about the state of the world, I think that's at least part of it is um, that I think another part of it is what you were mentioning, you know, it's hard. <laughs> you know, running up against the truth repeatedly is hard. Running up against your own limitations is, you know, constantly is, is hard. Now, that's not a reason that shouldn't necessarily be a reason not to do it. But I think that, you know, in terms of factors that push against what we're trying to advocate for, I think descriptively, those are a couple that are maybe in the background that we have to think through ways to, you know, overcome those. Yeah. Yeah. I think another area too, is the, for 30 years, the, um, there's been no, besides just the sport performance access, there's been no real good connections to physical participation outside the sport realm. So because the sport realm and the jocks, the jock system is put in there, it has bled into physical education inside the schools now that are largely based upon everyone becoming LeBron James. Right. Right. So, and, and you, that, that's a fact, that's not an incorrect statement, right? So maybe you're somewhere in a school where it's like, no, we do Rudolph LeBan movement analysis and everyone gets to move freely, et cetera. In most cases, that's not it. Right. So that's another area. I think what's pushed up against it is there's no, people are looking at it like, why would I participate in physical education at age five? I don't want to become LeBron James. That's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. Why should you be, want to become LeBron James? Um, I would also say though, too, that uh, learning math is hard, you know, to your point, physical challenges are hard. Uh, learning math is hard. Learning it. My daughter is learning a guitar, you know, learning the basics of the guitar, which is very interesting. One daughter is doing it by learning riffs and then working backwards. And the other daughter is learning it because she likes it by open and close chords of B, C, G, like where the <clears throat> fingers play, you know, so I'm saying it, but both of them are hard methods, right? But you see, it comes down to, and just take the young child's brain out of the picture, um, it's, got, it's got to come down to intentions um, and these, uh, this either, you know, a crazy, unreal uh, experiment where we make everyone believe that in 2040, we all need to be as physically fit as possible <laughs> for, the, for the second coming of something. Right. Um, you know what I'm saying? Where, where we start to appreciate that. Um, otherwise it'll take us a, a really long time for this in, inquiry around, you know, uh, th thousands and thousands of young kids that like increase their physical participation, um, for, for good intentions for the next 20 years. And then we watch track those children, right. Over time. And we start seeing, you know, great thoughts and great lawyers and, and great teachers and et cetera. And why? Because they had a great base support of, of uh, understanding these truths in physical physicality from a young age, you know? Right. Um, and now they're not up there. Like I would say the majority of humans, adult humans uh, think of fitness as a fix. Um, they think of fitness as folly towards being a LeBron James, or they think of fitness as uh, as pleasurable to chase away pain or to get rid of pain, right? Pain in their lifestyle or a diversion tactic around something, you know? 
um, or possibly it's just something that you do. Why do you go to fitness over there? Oh, that's, that's what everyone does. You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> um, so I think that's the, just some points to add to um, going after this whole base support of trying to figure out what is true in fitness and what is really worthy is quite challenging today because of those deeper intentions. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that's why the work of, you know, what, what we're discussing is I think so important because even though what I listed descriptively are, are reasons why, as a matter of fact, um, you know, physical fitness, just physical culture isn't valued as much as it should be. Like what we're doing and what we're discussing and, and teaching these types of things ends up being really important long-term because it starts to shift intentions around things and it starts to um, hopefully shift the conversation in such a way that, um, you know, there's a more uh, positive outlook and pe people view fitness as something that's, you know, an important part of their life the same way improving their mental capacity is, is um, part of their life. When, when you mentioned that, I was thinking kind of a, the, um, you know, in, in uh, Plato and Aristotle's time, there was you know, the philosophers and the sophists, you know, so the sophists were kind of like, hey, we're going to use argumentation and all this stuff to uh, make more money or to, you know, do kind of tricky arguments. And I, I, think a lot, I think a lot about that when I think about fitness, like going back to what we were discussing earlier of, you know, are these other fitness trends, trends aiming at truth? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think they are using. No, they're not. Yeah, they're, <laughs> yeah I mean, no, they're not. Um, yeah. They are using different methods to make a buck. Um, and the intention is not, is not truth. Um, but I, I think that's all the more reason, just like in philosophy versus, you know, sophistry, it's important for philosophy to keep on keeping on and, you know, argue for truth and, you know, virtue and justice and things like that. I think in fitness, it's, it's a similar type thing where, uh, we should be advocating for correct intentions behind things and for having truth be an aim of fitness. It's not just incidental to mm -hmm. uh, fitness. It's not like I'm just looking at this one randomized placebo controlled study to uh, justify my belief in orange theory as a system. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. multiple experiences and multiple ways of looking at things to get at truth, whether that goes with what you believe or not. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. I do think we've, uh, yeah, I think we're actually with your point. It's uh, more sad news um, because I think that uh, we're developing a whole younger generation now of still making them believe that uh, um, this is how fitness exists and why it exists. You know, there's a whole new generation. When you said the point of, you know, these new systems and trends that are saying this is what we're going after in fitness, um, they're really not going after truth. They're going after this uh, short-term pleasurable experience um, because that's just, they don't want you to miss out, right? They want you to feel like you have to be a part of it because you, you can't miss out on this. Yeah. Um, and again, that's incorrect intentions. Um, and just so we still do partner up with um, discussing, you know, what are the truths in fitness? And although I gave some, you know, really generalized concepts of the truth, we still don't have, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, if we should or should not bring that in, Robbie, to the question, but, you know, people still connect um, being upright 
and a lack of definition of for health as the truth in fitness. So I'll just give you an example because um, Donald Trump is a specific color and his hair is here and his doctor says this is what his scores are. You get my point, like why even have the conversation around the president's level of fitness, right? He was able to accomplish all these things. Uh, just just take, take it as a, and I know it's the worst example because everyone just gets visceral reactions for multiple different reasons on not only me bringing it up or the person's name himself, um, but do you see what I'm saying? Like there's no, there's no real um, uh, exemplars or, or people around us who, who have a voice nor uh, have a really, you know, beautiful, powerful story to share that we can all attach to, you know, all the folks that have went through physical expression for a lifetime and are mentally acute um, and are doing really good at 85, right. Are not leading the country. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so how do we, how do we connect to like these, these possibilities and these investigations as to what the truth, I think another thing we need to add to it. I don't know if your thoughts are on that if I'm, or if I'm off on adding it into trying to discover truths and fitness is that we don't have a good definition of what maximal health is, maximal health expression. Do you know that, that what we've discussed of like, you know, going at 65%, and I'm just going to say, you know, give Trump as an example, right? Uh, with current technology, medicine, um, coloring here, whatever, you could be at 65% and do quite well for a long period of time, 80 years. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, and uh, I just, you know, I just think that that we're bumping up against that as well. Um, and then as an example, um, no one is, uh, no one's talking to like, for example, LeBron James, although it sounds crazy in 15 to 20 years, we're not going to be interviewing him about his health and fitness. He's not going to be talking about it because no one wants to hear it. And no one wants to actually hear the truths inside what he's dealing with now, 20 years later of metabolic issues and mechanical problems, et cetera. Right. So, and, and that is a truth, right? You die from accumulation of toxins, wear and tear or genetic issues. Those the three, three, those are truths. <laughs> so I'm not sure if you have more thoughts on that, on how that gets in the way is our, we don't have a definition of what, um, you know, health and success of health is so that we can say, well, fitness is a medium that you, participate in to get to these levels of that, you know, uh, to, to, to make it somewhat, uh, um, to change up the intentions, change up the alignment of that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think we actually do have a, well, we do have a definition of health. It's not actually health. I mean, it's, mm. you know, not sick, not dead, right. Yeah. Or yeah. No, no symptoms, not sick, not dead. Yeah. Um, you know, and just, you know, we've discussed and that they talk about in, FDN and other areas, you know, there's a, there's a continuum of, of wellness and we, and we think that um, health consists in not being sick and not being dead. And, you know, I don't know what Trump's uh, fasting blood glucose is, but unless it's, um, you know, it's in, in that definition of health, unless it's uh, above 125, Hey, you're rocking it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But how do, how do those things like you were mentioning, how does someone's, fitness or blood sugar level, uh, affect their, you know, cognitive abilities and their ability to, you know, do things that they 
they need to do. I mean, if someone has constantly fluctuating blood sugar, that, that is going to affect your cognitive abilities and that's going to affect your ability to um, do the things you need to do. So yeah, those are it's, some initial thoughts on that. Yeah, it's the, uh, it's the, that's the issue is that it's, it's the relative cognitive ability, right? So it, it's to that individual person. My whole point being that I think, I think that they're in, in some other universe, depending upon your beliefs, there's probably a second, third, fourth iteration of a Donald Trump life. And there's a better version <laughs> is what I'm saying. Like, and I'm just giving you an example. There's a better version possibly because of something happened in that third dimension, Donald Trump lifestyle that moved him towards a higher appreciation for his relative level of health. You know what I'm saying? So again, back to my point, maybe what we see is he's operating at the 65 out of a hundred, maybe in another area he's at 89. And so that this is where it comes into discussing, you know, people will say, yeah, but you know, he wrote a book and did all these things. It's like, yeah, but he's not even at his potential. That's my, that's my point is that there will always be this, you know, um, these thoughts alone. That's it. They're just thoughts and theories. There's no truth to them. But um, I just think we, I just think there's no real reason for us to go after, you know, our max potential, each human's max potential. There's no real reason for it. Um, and we know there isn't because we see how many people are excited about uh, the maximum athletic potential, you know? So we see that inside the max athletic potential, people have these unbelievable experiences and what are truths because they push up against what their physical limitations are. Right. And they sometimes even overtake that, you know, work emotionally and cognitively, they move actually beyond what they're capable of. Right. That is a, that's an unbelievable human experience. Right now it, but it doesn't mean, <laughs> it doesn't mean that we have to overcorrect that and now push it into the periphery of health by saying, Oh, you see what these athletes do? This is what you need to do for your ultimate health and fitness, you know? So we're stuck in this really weird zone of not wanting to become an athlete, not wanting to push the athlete narrative. Um, we're trying to push this vitality narrative, not health, but a vitality narrative, but vitality is not that exciting. That's the, that's the, that's the crux. That's the issue. And you're, our drive to tie back into the truths and fitness, our drive towards that and trying to figure out what those truths are and working towards our maximal physical potential is, is uh, not that exciting and being somewhat mediocre can get you by. That's the, that's real. Yeah. And I, I mean, just thinking of an analogy with, you know, ethics or the pursuit of justice or truth, like, a lot of these things aren't sexy. I mean, just, you know, in line with what you're saying in, in fitness, you know, it, it's not as sexy as being uh, LeBron James or, you know, Tom Brady or something like that. But, um, you know, living an ethical life um, isn't sexy by large. In fact, very often it, it, it's going against that. You have to go against what you would want to be the case or pursuing justice. It's the, it's the same type thing. So I think um, that's part of what makes it, um, hard to pursue, but that, that's also what makes it important just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not uh, important and it is um, important. And 
I think being able to communicate that effectively and explain to people why that's important is a big part of, you know, generating that cultural shift. But as you said, it, 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 it takes time when there are yeah. these deep seated beliefs very much going the other direction. Yeah. All the while knowing too, that it, it will take time, especially to today where people feel they need to be socially accepted right? Or they need to even feel like majority would feel, and we know this from data of um, on using um, social media experiences that they feel that they need to be a part of it. Like that's the social construct, right? If you're 12 years old today, you got to be on there. You got to be on TikTok. You got to be on Snapchat. You got to, you got to do this, right? That's just, you know what I'm saying? But yeah. you know, 70 years ago, there was no access to that. So there's a whole different belief at that point in time. So I'm just mentioning this as to, you know, where our beliefs come from, you know, for that, uh, trying to align what is good within fitness. We, we really do believe we may have to do these things only because it's socially set up for us today. And I'm only mentioning that because I want to make listeners aware of the fact that we do know this is going on, right? Like why people are doing that. Um, so yeah, is uh, truth, the aim in fitness, um, I would say uh, it would be a great goal. It would be a great goal to go after um, a discovery um, of what you're made of um, and to keep moving up against what physical fitness shows you are made of, which are truths, which allows you to appreciate um, how close you want to keep moving up against what you're capable of. Um, and inside of those practices of searching towards the truth and moving up what you're capable of, um, I think it's going to unfold this, like it's going to hit you so often. It's going to give you lots of feedback to give you some, at least round out rounding idea of what the truth is in fitness for you specifically. Um, so that's what I think about that for, for the aim in fitness. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, I think, the descriptive question, you know, of like, do most fitness endeavors aim at truth? I think we both agree, no. Um, but should we? Yes. And I think this, you know, goes back to, I guess, the connection between fitness and philosophy. I, re I really, you know, maybe some people would think I'm too harsh because saying someone's a sophist is kind of a, <laughs> it's not a, not a great thing to say, but I do, I do think, honestly, there is a very close parallel between what fitness should ideally be and what we've been talking about and, and philosophy and the aim of truth and justice and, you know, living a good life and just stuff that aims, you know, what's sexy and what markets well and what makes money. And um, yeah. So I, I, I do think um, there is that dichotomy in, in the fitness world. And I just through our discussion today, it's, it's kind of striking me that unless there's a major change in human nature, it's always going to be a battle. Just like living an ethical life is always going to be hard. Do you know what I mean? As long as humans always have these desires, as long as we're basically constitutionally the same, you know, people are going to pursue what they want to believe and what's sexy over what is true. But that's why it's so important to have these beacons of truth, to have these, you know, um, instances or um, exemplars, mm -hmm. something that, you know, you can see as intrinsically worthy. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I guess I'm so connected to uh, just loving the purest acts aspect of movement at its most purest form for, um, for reproduction and, and survival um, and uh, you know, building homes and, and um, 
watching shows on Amazon prime, like alone and seeing these people just have only nature to deal with and seeing like the more, the more, the people that have had the most physical experiences in their life have led them to be more intellectually superior in ecology and being out there in the environment um, on decision-making and patience and being able to go three days to make a shelter to survive for 50 days where other people don't have the fitness to make a shelter, even without food for three days. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's why I, I dig so um, deep in loving that purest aspect of it. Um, and um, I'm going to continue to speak about it because then people can realize that there's a lot of beauty inside of those physical challenges that can still be connected today to reaching some levels of truth um, for fitness. Um, I would like to take a, a couple of minutes, although we are at uh, 90 minutes or just over that. Um, I think it's important, even if we talk for briefly about falsehoods, yeah. um, we have included some pieces of it, but it does, it doesn't, we're not trying to do that to finish the conversation on some of those, but um, just talking about them existing. Do you want to start with that, Robbie, of them existing inside of fitness and then what we do about the falsehoods? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the questions here are like, what sorts of things are false and fitness and how do we come to know them? I mean, one thing I was thinking of when we were discussing what truths are there in fitness um, that kind of came to mind, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts here is, you know, metabolic pathways. Um, you know, it, it didn't have to be the case that, you know, humans have these three main metabolic pathways, but we do. And that is a truth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it would seem to me that if someone were to say, uh, nod, nod, wink, wink, that uh, high intensity interval training or glycolytic activity is the cure to the chronic disease epidemic, um, which I've heard before, mm -hmm. uh, that that would be missing something. Do you know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's bumping up against what we know to be true. It's not that the glycolytic pathway isn't worthwhile and can't be used in certain instances, but no, it is not mm -hmm. the main or only way um, to cure chronic disease or to even just make someone healthy long-term. So that, that's, that's a falsehood I think of. I don't know if you have any thoughts. One way no, not, and not to just uh, beat that one uh, over and over again as an example, but I think that what you had mentioned, I think people should try to extract the principle of that. Like how did we get to that statement? And my, my, the way to think about it, which, you know, people could align then, you know, their intentions and pause and reflect is to say, just because it exists doesn't mean that it's worthwhile in terms of that search, right? So just because it exists doesn't mean anything. I.e., another example, uh, just so we don't, we're not just taking, you know, uh, sides here, um, you know, just because the marathon exists doesn't mean running is a, is a, creates a healthy heart. You know, it's, just, it's the same idea. And that's ironically what Greg Glassman pushed up against for great intentions, yeah. you know, years back, right? Um, just because touch and go snatches exist doesn't mean that every fitness person needs to participate in it. You know, oh, yeah. let's, get, let's get a little more uncomfortable. Just because snatching exists doesn't mean people need to participate, it, participate in it to do it, Right. And, and then you get even more uncomfortable just because snatching exists doesn't mean that it's going to create more athleticism in a person by the practice of it. 
right? So you just take that principle and just remember that it becomes very individualized inside that. Um, and that's the way you, you figure out, I think, falsehoods is to say, will it apply to a broad audience? Will it apply to an audience that doesn't have the experience of said, you know, area? And then you'll come to your own conclusions on it. And I think if, if uh, you know, you were given Robbie in your facility, 225 members who came to your facility being like, listen, we know the glycolithic pathway exists, <laughs> but I know I need to be strong enough to do it. I know I need a good aerobic system to recover from it. I know that it may lead to some cortisol junkie shit. You know what I'm saying? Imagine if 225 people came to you with that. So um, I think that's how it will allow our, not only our listeners as coaches, but listeners as fit and participants to say, just because it's there doesn't mean that you need to do it. Um, how we come up with um, what are those truths though? And what are the falsehoods in fitness? Um, this is not the only answer, but it's an experiment. It's a long-term experiment of people practicing with these things, right? That's what I said. It's been a beautiful social experiment for 20 years of saying like, let's just do this intense shit and see how long we can hang on. Right. And there's a number of people that couldn't hang on. So if that is a fact, then that's a truth. That's how you and I come to that statement that the long-term exposure of this perceived middle zone shit is not good. It messed you up. Like, like Jerry's chicken, Kenny Rogers chicken um, in Seinfeld. It's going to mess you up. Um, so, but we, it how do we get to that? Because the glycolytic pathway existed. There was tremendous white paper evidence that would show its effectiveness in the metabolic output. There was tremendous white, you know what I'm saying? I could, I could, you know, go on and on of all the power to that. And it still holds to today, right? Like I more recently just produced from OPEX Fitness, another article I wrote years ago on high intensity training versus doing resistance and aerobic stuff only. And it still creates this visceral reaction in a whole lot of people because I'm essentially saying just because that exists doesn't mean that it's effective for what you saw was a truth in fitness, you know? So I think it has to be applied in a really professional, well thought out manner. Um, and if you don't know how to get there, um, this is the unfortunate thing with it. Experience will get you there over time. Um, where you'll just practice it and practice and go, geez, you know what? I'm not stronger anymore. I wonder what's going on there, you know? Right. And you'll see that's the, that's what's happening. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, just to take a, a pot shot at something, I mean, at what I participate in, I mean, we hit, hit and, uh, aerobic, but you know, I, most of my stuff started in kind of the bodybuilding type stuff back and bias, chest and tries. And now I do powerlifting, but no one needs to bench for health and wellness like mm -hmm. ever. You yeah. know what I mean? Like if, if, if you want to, cool. Um, and it's, it's what's sexy and it's what, uh, I guess in the strength world among bros has been like the metric of, you know, are you where you should be physically, but why do you know what yeah. I mean? Like mm -hmm. no one needs to do that for, so yeah, I, th I think, uh, I, I agree. I think we should <laughs> take, 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 uh, pot shots all around because in, in, in many different areas of fitness, there are some falsehoods around, you know, just because it exists, doesn't mean you need to do it. And, and going back to what we were saying originally about like, you know, truths and, you know, these different metabolic pathways, just knowing something around like, how are these best developed? Mm -hmm. Why do we have these? What, what, are, what are the time domains over which these operate? And how do these lead us to be um, the best versions of ourselves? Like we could ask, um, 
you know, as someone who just develops their aerobic system as uh, close to their maximum physical potential as someone who develops their aerobic system plus, you know, their resistance capacity mm-hmm. um, or vice versa. You know, mm-hmm. you, there, are, there are questions inside there about like what leads that max physical uh, capacity and you can arrive at what the falsehoods are by trying to get at what the, the truths are in that, in that process. Yes, and the, the scientific method has definitely done a good job in, in exercise of trying to discover what those exact things happen, right, when people try those. Um, but you've got to go further than that. And it has to be still what I believe, um, like the issues that I have with, especially a lot of the, science, the nutritional science stuff, is, is uh, the proxy that's used, or Alec would say, uh, I guess we could say, is their definition of them taking that information and then carrying it over to living, is that they were just trying to lose weight or not get cancer. Right. Do you know what I mean? So, and that can't be the only reason we, why we use that base support for nutrition interventions. Do you know what I'm saying? But yeah. we don't turn our back on how positive we, what things we got from it. It's the same thing inside of exercise science, right? We use the, the exercise science stuff as a base support, but there has to be this human experience element and, and a clear definition as to what we believe in as the highest order version. Right. Um, and, that really is consistency, pushing up against your limitations, consistent physical challenges, um, and really doing what would be considered in some people's minds a, um, a meaningful life is doing constant adjustments, just adjusting to like how things are because constant adjustments is, an in, is, is insight to awareness, right? The process of that is an awareness. So Yes, it sounds very woo-woo to say it, but it will raise your consciousness, your level of awareness, the more you participate in physical challenges because it's constantly giving you feedback, right? A, an adjustment to that process. And that's the beautiful aspect of, of uh, trying to reach that relative f- potential and why we're trying to inspire people to reach towards that. Um, and up against what we're saying here, there's, you need to know there's a number of falsehoods there um, that seemingly look like they're going after the truths, but but they're not. They're not going after that. Uh, I call it like a real world reason to do fitness. Right. Yeah. A real world reason to do fitness. Wow. Real world reason to do fitness. Yeah, that was That's injected. Um, and areas that uh, uh, truths that coaches need to know, um, as well as clients. Um, I think we talked about a little bit inside of the falsehood and truths in fitness. Um, but I think that we may leave that for another yeah. time if it's, if it's you know, more in-depth or more particular that we need to, to hammer on. Um, yeah, I think maybe the falsifiability question, we could maybe talk about it a different um time but yeah i think i think overall it was a pretty in-depth good discussion yeah um and a recap uh talked about why it matters um you took us through a, a great uh concepts in terms of intrinsically and extrinsically looking at it um how to access it um or how people have tried to access this concept of truth um you gave us different uh definitions uh, uh, correspondence coherence and pragmatism um, we talked about 
um, realism and anti-realism in some of the philosophical debates based upon those. Um, you kept us rem reminding us that you want to have a constant check on your beliefs as you go through this um, social experiment of trying to come to some truths, right? Keep asking those questions. I reiterated by saying, keep asking the, like why you ended up believing what you believe um, to help you. Um, then we looked at, you know, asking a hard question, which is a good one I'd ask people to continue to do, which is um, should truth be the aim inside of fitness? Um, and uh, we wrapped our brains around that one, discussed some falsehoods um, inside of fitness. And uh, yeah, I think that was a good, uh, good jam on that topic. Yeah, I agree. And I think just based on kind of what you were just <clears throat> saying a moment ago, you know, to really, I guess, wrap it up and link fitness with truth. Like if we were saying truth is that which, you know, is a constant check against your beliefs. Fitness is kind of the physical version of the pursuit for truth in a certain sense, because every time you pick up a barbell, every time you run, anytime you do a workout, you are checking up against, you know, what you think will be the case or how you think you'll feel. And then reality is revealed to you as you engage in that experience as you're, you know, uh, fond of, of pointing out. So I think it really is that physical expression of, of finding truth as opposed to, the, I mean, and it has a relation to the intellectual uh, as well, but it's, it's, that, it's that physical version of that. Yeah, the physical expression, awareness. This is helping me define fitness better, which is good. <laughs> we'll come back to that episode one and episode two over time and, and redefine that a whole lot better. So I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. I, yeah. I'm, like each time we talk, I'm just getting broader and broader views of things. So it's, it's awesome. Excellent. Thanks for today. All right. Thanks, James.